Have you ever heard of Kelly Corrigan? She has written four New York Times bestsellers and has a great show on PBS. Oh, and the Oprah magazine, no big deal, calls Kelly the voice of a generation. Well, she also has a podcast, Kelly Corrigan Wonders, and it is awesome. Thousands of five-star reviewers say she is thought-provoking, funny, and authentic. And it has over 14 million downloads. She gets real with everyone, from Lisa Damore to Pete Buttigieg to Julie Lithgott-Hames and Mary Louise Kelly. Subscribe to Kelly Corrigan Wonders wherever you're listening now. Hey, everyone. First off, we want to thank you for listening to No One Is Coming to Save Us. And now we want to hear from you, what you've learned, what's sticking with you, what questions you still have, and what you're motivated to do as a result of listening. Right now, you can take our short survey to help us better understand the impact of our work. And even better, once you've completed the survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Visa gift card. The survey is short and sweet, I promise, and it will really help us keep bringing you content you love. Take the survey at bit.ly slash no one survey. That's bit.ly slash no one survey. Thanks again. Welcome to the dough, where cash is queen and we hardly know her, but we're still here figuring her out together. Because y'all, season two is here, okay? Hosted every week by me, X Maya. Remember, I'm going to be talking to all types of people about their relationship to money. Reality stars, entrepreneurs, financial experts, and even some of my own friends. Basically anyone who will get real with me about their dollars. How they make money, how they spend it, and how they save it. Because I'm trying to retire early, people. Season 2 of The Dough is out on March 21st, wherever you get your podcasts. Lemonada. I'm at the dentist with my two youngest. It's 4.40 in the afternoon. And the dental assistant just came out to say, okay, I'm taking the two back now. Uh, you know, mom has to stay. So I'll let you know how it goes. And like, literally, I was like, thank God I have some peace and quiet <laughs> for a moment. This is No One Is Coming to Save Us from Lemonada Media. I'm Gloria Rivera. That was me in the quiet, lovely, momentarily kid-free zone, also known as my children's dentist's office. Good times. <laughs> Brief, but good times. So, everyone, are you back? Are you just finding us? That's cool, but just FYI, this particular episode is part two of two. So if you haven't listened to our first part with Lauren Cook, the CEO of Ellis Early Learning Center in Boston, then go listen to that and come back. We'll be right here. In part one, we heard from Lauren about what it's been like to run a childcare center over the past year, how Omicron threw them for a loop, how labor shortages are making it impossible to staff classrooms. Now in part two, we'll check in with the people who experienced those same challenges from the other side, the parents and teachers at Ellis. We'll hear from two familiar faces, or should I say familiar voices, <laughs> we met in season one. Shane Dunn, a parent at Ellis Early Learning, and Kaya Savannah, who is both a parent and a teacher at Ellis. We're going to start off with Shane. Last time we spoke, he showed us what a day in the life of a working parent of two young kids was like. 
There's a song from Frozen that uh, they use the word crazy a few times. Um, he said, L I want to hear the song crazy. I know, but I know you want that song. Literally the minute we get into the car and I buckle him into his car seat, um, he's like, I want to hear it. Uh, but I need to record a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Liam. No, you have to put crazy in it. to put crazy in it. I don't know if we're going to be able to do it today, Liam. I do. I know you really want crazy. It's my favorite. Do you think you want to... I do want to put it in. I know you do, but we're going to be at school soon. I will say our son is very strong-willed uh, and love that about him. Back into the car. All right. So both kids are now at their buildings at Alice. And now I can go to work, as can my wife Elizabeth. And hopefully the kids have a great day. I will say when I do these interviews, my own kids are usually at school, out of the house. Not always, but when I spoke with Shane this time around, he was sitting on his kitchen floor, which I totally get as a reasonable spot when you are working from home. Prior to the pandemic, both he and his wife, Elizabeth, worked big jobs that took them into the office every day. Shane still works in his same field, fundraising, but now, of course, what that looks like has been turned on its head. So Shane is on the kitchen floor juggling work with childcare for his two kids— four-and-a-half-year-old son, Liam, and two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Eleanor, both home from school. You'll hear lots of Liam in this episode, and if you have not listened to season one, run, don't walk, because Liam is, I think I can say with confidence, the star of the first episode. Anyway, there is a COVID breakout in Shane's family, and they are quarantining. Is that an actual verb? Anyway, so... He's on the kitchen floor, beseeching his son to continue his digital learning while graciously also speaking to us. Shane told me he feels like the world is moving on, but his family isn't able to. There is still no COVID vaccine available for his kids. And while the pandemic shone a light on the childcare crisis, he doesn't really feel like we, the country, or even the state in which he lives, has a workable plan. Now, I am an optimist, but he's right. I felt down about that, but then I realized that's why we're doing this podcast. We need to find a workable plan together. On that note, here's my conversation with Shane. Oh, here we go, Gloria. So Liam is asking me for something. Oh, hi, Liam. Hi, Liam. Do you want to say hi to Miss Gloria? Okay. No, he's like, no. But I'll give you some more muffin just a little bit. Can you go finish with Mr. Brown, please? Finish your patterns. Okay, finish your patterns, and as soon as we're done, we'll get lunch. Thank you, bud. Oh my God, Shane, how do you get anything done? I'm not. I'm like. I'm having PTSD just watching. I bet you are, Gloria. I know you've been through this. Oh my God. Yeah, it's been it's so uh, crazy. It's still been hard. So I will say, the last several months have been easier at times because our kids have mostly been at school or daycare, and that's helped immensely to allow my wife Elizabeth and me to do our jobs. But the days when that's not happening. It really is frustrating and uh, unpredictable and hard. And, you know, we're just fortunate to have access to great childcare for our daughter, Eleanor at Ellis. And then our son is in a Boston public school in our neighborhood. That's a 10 minute walk, but he doesn't have aftercare. He doesn't have after school care. That school doesn't provide it. So we have to pick him up every day at three or a caregiver does. So 
Three comes really fast. It comes three pretty is fast. Like fast. Middle of the day. It's the end like, of the day oh. does not get done for work for unless you've got a babysitter, which we've had, but that's inconsistent too, due to COVID when someone's been exposed. So I know. I was going to ask you, what was your first logistical thought this morning that you can remember? Yeah. Was there a moment? You know, you open your eyes. I feel like it just happens so fast for me every morning. I'm like, oh, okay, I've got to do this or yeah. I've got to do that. Or, I mean, it, it's. For this week, and then, you know, still figuring out, we haven't told everyone that we have COVID, right? So there's there's been this touch and go of who knows we're COVID versus we're just sick or exposed, right? Um, but it's been, which is not dissimilar to other parts of the, of the pandemic, at least the earlier days, like, who gets to do their job today? Um, who gets to do their job today? <laughs> yeah, who, and, you know, for a range of reasons, we make those decisions anyway, um, but is that an actual, like, that's a decision you and your wife are like, okay, who's going to work and who's going to run the yeah, rest who of the has, ship? Who has meetings that were unavoidable or we'll, if we miss that meeting, will it set us back more next week or in the future? Um, yeah, that's the real life. And that, that, that brings me back to the earliest days when our kids were certainly home and everyone had their kids at home. If they had kids, uh, you know, we had those days where we could do half of our jobs during the day because the other half was the other person was caregiving. Right. Um, uh, or napping or diapering, whatever. We're back at it again this week with quarantine or exposure requirements. Right. Uh, so that's kind of the what happens in the morning. Who's doing their job or who's doing part of their job? None of us, neither of us is getting 100% done. So who's going to do part of it? Who's going to go to meetings, whatever it is? Right. Who's going to be in the room where the door can be actually closed and not sitting on your kitchen floor where you are now talking to me? <laughs> that's right, Gloria. That's right. Um, what has it been like financially to have one child transfer out of Ellis in a public school system? I heard you mention babysitters. Like, how does it feel on the checkbook? No, that's a great question, Gloria. It's it's helped a little bit. Not having two children in childcare, which we know is so expensive. And again, naming our privilege that we are private pay families who paid for Ellis since our ch- son was four, four months old and our daughter since four months old. Um, it's nice to not have to pay for our older child to go to school every day. However... Um, as we said, his school, when we, when we actually entered his school, we assumed he would have after school care until 6 PM, which was why we chose to send him to this school in our neighborhood, given it was a difficult school to get into, which is not dissimilar to childcare or finding your choice. Right. Um, it's not guaranteed. It's hard. He, his school in our neighborhood is a small school. So again, seats are, are limited. Um, however, within our first week of him being in the new school, the after school care provider had not had his paperwork together. And then within a couple of weeks, the principal made a decision to kind of cut the contract entirely and assumed we would have care within a few weeks after that. That was early, that was late September, early October. I'm talking to you early March. We, none of our families have after school care right now. We're all doing it on our own, either your own family resources or hiring private help, which took us several months to find a babysitter or babysitters who would pick our kid up and just be with them for two hours a day. Um, and that has been touch and go because COVID we've had exposures among our babysitters or us. So we obviously don't want to keep going. So there's been no consistency throughout this school year. Again, um, the one consistency really has been Eleanor when she is at Ellis picking her up at five twenty every day on the days that Ellis is open, her classroom is open, but again, her classroom has certainly been closed as well due to exposures. Ellis has done a phenomenal job, but there's certainly been that. So, the answer question, checkbook has been slightly lighter, but we we are seeing we're supplementing with care. So I don't think we've seen too much of a difference. Right. Like different headache, different headache, different challenge. Um, what has your experience been like at Ellis? How have you 
experienced what they've been going through in terms of trying to provide a consistent, stable, warm environment? Yeah, they've been through so much. Um, they've done their best. I will say this over and over again. The the staff, the administrators, the us as families, the kids are resilient, but it's it's we're it's hard to keep saying kids are resilient or adults are resilient, right? We're going through trauma. Um, we're all going through this collective experiment and unfortunately the rest of the world has moved on, right? Those of us with families of young kids are forgotten about it. Those of us with kids who can't be vaccinated. Oh my God, there's an ant emergency. There's an ant. Ah, can I let the ant go and bring it to his friends later, please? Can you go back to Mr. Brown? No, I, don't, I can't do the pack. Okay, do what you can do and I'll be right there. I'm so sorry, Shane. I know it's like we're pulling you in 19 directions. I'm so sorry. Um, so so what's what's weighing on you right now two years in to this pandemic you know, no aftercare at your son's school. Uh, you, you see the struggles at Ellis. You know, what weighs on you? Like, another way to ask that question is just, like, how are you doing? We're struggling. Again, we're more privileged than some, and I'll, I'll say that and appreciate that we have that, but it doesn't make it easy every day to get through work, kids, managing a house, managing a future um, with young kids. First, what weighs on me is vaccines. Um, again, unfortunately, we have now had... COVID in our house, but um, which we got through two years, thankfully, and yeah, now we haven't. But I want the vaccine to be available to my children. I know parents, there's a range yeah, of feelings on this still. We certainly there's care about it and are expecting to vaccinate our children. Um, so I think that's number one. Number two is, again, that the world has moved on. Um, and I, 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 feel, I, I appreciate some of that because we all want their return to normalcy and feeling good again and traveling or whatever. At the same time, there's this expectation that we are back to normal and we're not. My wife feels that at her job. I feel that some things in my job. I think our social groups, our families, we all just want to get back to normal and I want to. We can't. Um, we're doing part of it. We've done some of it, but it's not there yet. And I think three, the long-term, just the systemic impact on families is huge. And the, the kids, we don't know what our kids are going to feel like in 15 years due to the pandemic, whether they've had access to high-quality care or not, or yeah. schooling which we've had, but I still don't know what's going to happen to our own kids. And then again, I'm glad this conversation has been elevated and thank you to you for elevating this conversation around the early childhood sector. We want to keep fighting for more, but I, I just feel sad that it hasn't happened sooner. Um, that's taken a pandemic to elevate and we still have no guarantees that the world yeah. is going to shift and yeah. we're going to recognize this as a public good uh, and that our, yeah. our early childhood teachers are worth the value <laughs> that they give to our oh, families. Hi, Liam. No, Liam, do you want to say to Miss Gloria? Daddy. Say Miss Gloria. Daddy. Liam, are there ants over there? <laughs> how, yeah. how many yeah. ants? I'm, I'm embarrassed to say we have ants, but we live in a city and it happens. Oh, uh, hello? Like, ants are the least of my problems. Real life. Oh, my too. Say hi, Liam, I want to know if you can hear me. Well, I have to ask you guys both. Liam, are you still into Frozen? No. No? But do, do you want to know who is? Who listens to Frozen? Your sister loves Frozen. Thank goodness it's still in the house. It's still in the house, Gloria, a year still later. Still in the house. Okay. Well, that I can sleep at night now. Well, Liam, Shane, thank you for talking to us. Um, you guys are the best. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your time. I will let you go take care of the muffins and the ants. Thank you. And, yes, uh, we are grateful to Ellis. We're grateful to this childhood Daddy. sector. We're, we're grateful to the public school system. There's so much to be grateful for. There's also a lot of frustration on the system side. Right? The system is failing our kids. It's failing our families. We know that. Our politicians need more. Such a price. Thanks, Shane. Thank you, Gloria. 
Have you ever wondered if knowing more is always good? Or if we can really trust our gut? Or how change actually happens? For answers, I turn to Kelly Corrigan Wonders, a weekly podcast I just love. If you haven't heard of her, Kelly has written four New York Times bestsellers and has a great show on PBS. Oh, and the Oprah Magazine calls Kelly the voice of a generation. The Huffington Post calls her the poet laureate of the ordinary. Her podcast, Kelly Corrigan Wonders, has thousands of five-star reviews that emphasize thought-provoking, funny, authentic. It also has over 14 million downloads. She gets real with everyone, from Lisa Damore and Pete Buttigieg to Julie Lithcott-Hames and Mary Louise Kelly. Together they help us focus on the long game of parenting, create support systems, and keep our lives in good working order. Subscribe to Kelly Corgan Wonders wherever you're listening now. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. And of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out March 27th from Lemonada Media. Welcome back. Next, we're going to check in with Kaya Savannah, who is a teacher and a parent at Ellis. Guys, I just love Kaya. I'm a little intimidated by her in a good way. (laughs) I know a lot of hard workers, but Kaya is next level. Let's take a quick listen to my first conversation with Kaya from season one. I like to have fun. Like my classroom is all about getting these kids rowdied up. I just love doing different things with them that can get their little brains working and get them so excited. I think that's the best part is when a kid is like overly excited about something. And you're like, yes, I nailed it. All right, so now we're gonna do our instruments and music. Like, oh yeah, you babysit kids all day. No, it's not just that. I really want to make sure when my children leave my classroom that they leave with something, they learn something. What did they do with this tree? <laughs> they made a swing with a tire. They use it to play hide and go seek, right? They use it for campfires. They use this tree in so many ways. You know, it's not just me changing their diaper and, you know, wiping their noses. It's actually beginning to build their brain for their future. Kaya has been teaching at Ellis for seven years. And you will hear her say she just got a new job within Ellis in the BPS classroom. That's Boston Public Schools. What that means is that in addition to the little babies and toddlers at Ellis, they also have two UPK classrooms, universal pre-K. And because they're run by Boston Public Schools, you know what that magic phrase, public school means, higher wages. So Kaya managed to get one of those coveted positions within Ellis. Yay, right? Well, yes and no. She matter-of-factly tells me she keeps the door open to other jobs, even though this is 1,000% her dream job. She went to college to study early education, but she keeps that door open because she's a single mom and she has a two-year-old daughter to take care of. 
And that, that takes money. So as Kaya will tell you, it's complicated and it is far from perfect. So let's get into it. I know last time we spoke, I um, was trying to get into a new position at yes. Ellis. I got it. So it it's a UPK classroom that is um, under BPS. So I um, was getting observed today by some BPS coaches. <laughs> okay, cool. So tell me, as soon as you said that it came flooding back to me, that's a big mm-hmm. deal. And why is that a big deal to you? Um, it's a big deal because one, it's something that I've always... Um, you know, wanted to do. And two, it ha- it came with more, more money. <laughs> so my, my salary is, is higher than it was before, which helps me out. So when you were really ready to go and leave and considering other jobs, what made you stay? Cause it's something that I, I really enjoy doing. Like it, it, I always feel like I'm turning away from my, my kids, my students. If I leave, then, you know, I can't, you know, shine that light on new students when they, when they come into my classroom. Like this is something that I truly, truly enjoy. And if I can stay in this field, but just figure out how I can make more money, you know, I, I would love to keep doing this. I, 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 I don't really see anything else I would want to do. Right. And I see you as someone who thrives off of connection with other people, just the way you talk about your daughter and the way you've, you know, done this crazy cartwheeling juggling act to stay in your role at Ellis. Um, Do you think there are other factors that are keeping caregivers from doing their best work or is it the salary? Um, It can be a lot of things. It can be the hours. Right. Um, you know, for for this setting, school, you you're either working eight to five or eight thirty to five thirty. Um, now that I have my daughter, and even though she is here, we don't get home until six six thirty. That's that's really late for um, someone with a just a child. Period. No matter what age they are, you know, you have to cook dinner. You have to get them ready for bed. I'm not spending time with my daughter. You know, last night I stayed here um, to prepare myself for the observation. I didn't get home till 7 8 o'clock. I missed her dinner time. And I was like, you know what? I feel so bad that I haven't seen you all day. Let's just spend 30 minutes coloring. And we just sat there at the table and colored and talked. But it's like those moments are important because I don't ever want my child to feel like I'm not spending time with her and I'm all, and all I'm doing is working, working to make sure I have money for food on the table. So that can be a major factor. Are you still looking at other jobs? Are you keeping your eye out just to have options open? Or does this new role make you feel like, no? If I absolutely have to, because I am strung, struggling financially, I know I'm a mentioned this before, I would. Like it's it's gotten to a point where my interest and my passion will have to be set aside unless I can think of something else to do. Like I know I thought about starting my own business or, you know, doing something that has nothing to do with education. It just pays more just so I can 
live that comfortable life without, you know, struggling. Have you seen your friends leave or coworkers leave? I've been at Ellis for seven years and people that have, I have started with have definitely have left. <laughs> it, and I know some of the reasons are people want to start a family. So they feel like this is not the right place where you want to start a family. Um, dealing as far as like stress, I've seen some people go back to school to get their master's to seek other opportunities. Um, and I've just seen people who who have left because they just simply, you know, figured out that this is not what they want to do. Right. I mean, when I asked you that question before about have you considered leaving the way you answered it so concisely, you know, you're like, yeah, yeah. It 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 seemed to me you've thought that through. So you're oh, I definitely yeah, you, you're you're nodding right now. You're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm I'm being honest, I definitely have. Like, even though I'm I'm okay right now, it doesn't mean that I'm gonna be okay in the next three years. I I do have some long-term goals for myself. And, you know, one of them is when my daughter is um, five, which would be her last year at Ellis, if she is still, you know, going here, which I'm pretty sure she will be. I set that as that, that would be my time to go. So she's going to be three. So from three until five, I'm really trying to figure out what else I can do. And it has nothing to do with, I don't like where I'm working. It just goes back into, I need to make a major move that's going to help me in the long run. So I don't ever have to run into like a financial hiccup again. Right. A painful financial hiccup. Yes. Um, Kaya, I feel like I look at you and I mean, I think it would be easy from an outsider's perspective to say, oh my God, she's this amazing teacher and her daughter gets to be there, you know, mm-hmm. all during her working hours. You know, she she's really lucky. And I know that you feel that you are, but it doesn't mean that it's also easy. No. You're shaking your not. head. <laughs> it's definitely not. Our, <laughs> our, I mean, I I have the the luxury, I guess I can say, of not having to drop my daughter off at a different location in the mornings, which makes my mornings a tad bit easier. But I, I don't know if you remember, I, I do live an hour away from my job. Oh, right, right, right. God, an hour away. <laughs> I do live an hour. It's an hour due to traffic. So I do live an hour away. So With a two-year-old in the car. With a two-year-old in the car. So my mornings, you know, aren't, you know, smooth. I, I need, I have to get up at five, 30 in the morning. I have to get myself ready. I have to get my daughter ready. We have to get, we have to make sure we're out the door at a, at a certain time because I am a opening teacher. So if I'm late, I have parents and children waiting for me. So it's like, I have a huge responsibility that I have to make sure I meet every single day. And my daughter has to go to her classroom, which is happening right now. She is, um, she has new teachers in her classroom. So at the moment we are going through, um, you know, what I forgot what you call it, but she's crying every day. So like a transition for her. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, mommy has to go to work. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's eight oh five, but my daughter's crying. Oh God, that's the worst. That's the worst. Right, so oh God, like, I feel like I have like trauma coming back into my brain from that. I know right? what that's like. Like 
so hard to leave her like that. And it's different when the teacher is telling you like, oh, you can leave now. We've got this. Yeah. That's different from like the stress you feel of needing to be somewhere urgently, which I imagine you right. feel. And she's right. in and tears. Not, and not even that. It's like, I feel like I'm leaving my child to go deal with other children who are going through the same problem. And I can't even comfort oh, my child. So yeah, we're going through that right now. So our morning definitely are not easy. I'm hoping that she, you know, it gets a little bit better and she becomes more familiar with her teachers as the weeks go on. But And it's it's late in the year, so she has new teachers because her other teachers have left. So she's yeah. getting a new someone so that stability is broken. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, God. Okay, well, I will be hoping that she it gets easier for her. Yes, I hope so, too. <laughs> you can do it. You guys can do it. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Okay, well, Kaya, thank you, thank you, thank you. I know your day is packed, and we've already taken up a lot of your time. You guys are so. good this nap time, so we're good. <laughs> so you know what kills me about these interviews? That tone they both have that is some sort of an equation. Resilience, determination, exhaustion, realism, maybe some optimism. It just reinforces that parents and teachers are getting beaten down by the current system. They really are. When Shane said it felt like the world was moving on and and he wasn't, ugh. And when Kaya talked about having to leave her own daughter, who was upset because she had a new teacher, only to go comfort another child who was also upset, I mean, ouch. I've been that mom, walking out of the school, wiping away tears because my kid was upset and it sucks. But instead of walking out of the school, imagine having to go take care of someone else's kid and comfort them because that's your job. I could not do that. I would not be good at that. That's why I think Kaya is incredible. I want to thank them both for sharing their stories That is as smack dab in the middle of this crisis as you can get. And while they're both okay for now, I'm worried about the future, in case that wasn't clear. That's also why I'm doing this podcast. And something I want to do with season two is to highlight all of you and your lives as parents and caregivers. You heard a snippet of mine at the top when I was at the dentist's office, remember? that magical quiet moment. (laughs) Well, I hope that you'll share your memorable parenting and caregiving moments with me. The funny ones, the challenging ones, the proud ones, the aha ones, the ones where you just maybe hid in your car because you needed a minute of quiet. I've done that. (laughs) All of it. You can brag, you can vent, share whatever you want. All you have to do is whip out your phone and record a short voice memo, and then just email it to me at gloria at lemonadamedia.com. And we will feature some of those moments at the end of the show right here. Okay, well, thank you all for listening. I'm so happy to be back making new episodes and figuring out this crisis together. I am so excited to be on this journey with all of you. I'll see you all next week. I can't wait. No One Is Coming to Save Us is a Lemonada Media original, presented by and created with Neighborhood Villages. The show is produced by Chrissy Pease and Alex McOwen. Veronica Rodriguez is our engineer. Music is by Hannes Brown. Our executive producers are Stephanie Whittles-Wax 
Jessica Cordova Kramer, and me, Gloria Riviera. If you like the show and you believe what we're doing is important, please help others find us by leaving us a rating and writing us a review. Do you have your own experiences and frustrations with the childcare system? Do you have ideas for what we could do to make it better? Join the No One Is Coming to Save Us Facebook group where we can continue the conversation together. You can also follow us and other Lemonada Media podcasts at Lemonada Media across all social platforms. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week. Until then, hang in there. (laughs) You can do it. Hey, listeners, I'm here today to tell you about Lemonada Media's newest limited podcast series called Declined. This series takes you through the journey of two exceptional women from incarceration to freedom, ultimately leading to the creation of the Returning Artists Guild, an organization that uplifts the artwork of currently and formerly incarcerated artists across the country. Call Declined is out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Last Day from Lemonada Media explores the moments that change us. Those times where you look back and say, whoa, one day I was myself and the next I wasn't. I'm Stephanie Whittles-Wax, and I have seen time and time again how sharing these stories can change lives. So, do you have a moment in your life that changed you, fundamentally and forever? What happened? How did you move through it? And how did you eventually start again? If you'd like to share your story, go to bit.ly slash lastdaystories, bit.ly slash lastdaystories. We can't wait to hear from you.